Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with host Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. So I spoke to a woman in Regina today, Regina, Saskatchewan, and she wrote a post uh, question. I answered it and she's really still struggling with the, is he using, what's he using, when's he using? It continues to be a big issue and maybe we make it too big. And I'm just wondering if it, if we at least use it as the framework, if you want to make a decision about what to do now, what to do about your house, what to do about, about giving him a car, you know, what to do about any of it, you want to put it into, well, what's he doing right now? What does it look like? You know, is he heading towards recovery or is he, is he not? Is he using right now? Is he not? What is, what is it you're going to do at any time? I think there's often two things going on with trying to identify with with what you are talking about. And I think to start with families think when we're talking about identifying whether they're using or not, they're thinking of using or in recovery and not understanding that we're talking about right now in this moment. And it's a really tough thing to do, but to also help families understand that it's not a hard stop. It's not, oh, they're absolutely using, or they're absolutely, like I have this definitive proof. Everybody gets on that proof, the need to have proof that that your loved one can't argue against. Here it is. I know you're using, and it's not that. It's, I have a feeling, I have some pretty strong evidence, and so I'm going to go with that because I have enough history and experience with you that I have a general idea when you're using and when you're not. And the good thing about that is when you go to be active, either detach, you know, in the moment and remove those immediate rewards, or whether I'm going to interact with you or not, you're not, it's not a punishment. So that's why it's okay to not have this irrefutable proof that your loved one is using because all you're doing is stepping away in the moment and it's not a punishment. Right. And if you don't react with thoughtfulness, you're going to have this mixed message. That is what you've probably been doing a lot of the time anyway, but we have you in the present moment and everything you said. And then the additional thing I hear is God forbid I should be wrong. What if I think he's using and he's not? So I spoke to a woman and she was telling me that her son is 17. He comes home pretty much every other night. If you look at the pattern, the the first night he'll spend out either with his friends or over at his girlfriends. She's also 17 and her parents allow all this. I mean, it's very hard to parent these transitional 17, 18, 19 year olds. And so when he comes home the second night to her, to mom's house, 
she doesn't know what to do about that because she's not even sure which drug he's using. It's likely there's something in addition to the weed, but she's not sure. And so last night she acted like he wasn't high. So when he came home at about 10 o'clock at night, um, she said, hey, you want some ice cream? Let's watch a movie. And they did. And they were, you know, he was he was tired, but he stayed up and they finished the movie and it was a good night. And I said, that's that's wonderful. And I said, let's take it the other way. Let's say you thought he was withdrawing or coming down from a stimulant, you know, whatever it was, if you were you felt a little sure of yourself. And you have to, whether you are as sure of yourself as you can be, what Lori is saying is it's got to be one or the other. Don't land in the middle where it's all confusing. And so if, if he had come home that second night and she had decided he had been withdrawing from whatever he'd done the night before, she would have said, hey, glad to see you home. Good night. Right. Remove all rewards herself. I'm out of here. Let him sit in the room in the dark withdrawing. If it's stimulants, he's not going to be able to sleep. It's awful. It's not a movie with mom. So that's a nice contrast. And it was a natural one that just came out of what she did the night before. So it was a a nice way to show her that the it's in the present moment that you're doing this. I think that it's those couple of pieces that are confusing, right? Confusing family members, right? It's like, no, it's in the moment. What do you think right now? All signs, what do all signs point to right now in this moment? And you don't have to have a confrontation, right? It's not looking at their eyes, right? And and doing that. And, and I know like listeners can't see, but I just stuck my face in the camera uh, looking at their eyes to see, you know, are they pinned? Are they dilated? Or it's not a matter of looking for this hard evidence. It's kind of a, a soft decision-making process. I'm pretty sure he or she is high, or I'm pretty sure they're coming down from being high and we're in a, we're in a not so good stage and I don't want to reward this. I want to reward when, when they come home and they've kind of, as we call it, sobered up a little bit and then I'm going to reward. And the thing is, is because it's not a punishment, there is nothing to be sorry for, or you kind of can't, you're not really making a mistake. Does that make sense? So if it was a punishment and they hadn't done um, what you suspect them of doing, then you have something that you have to apologize for. Then you're being, you know, you're accusing, you're sending the message that you don't trust them. And maybe if it's a punishment, you're kind of putting them up against the wall and making them have to either defend themselves or lie. So you want to avoid all of that. And it's just, you know, maybe tonight, I just don't feel like talking and I'm going to head to my room and I'm going to disengage from you. And if you're wrong, it's not a big deal. The next day you're going to get up and, hey, you know, you look great this morning. Why don't you come down and have some pancakes with me? Right. And so now you're rewarding. Oh, look, you look good. (laughs) You're rewarding at a time when you know that they're not using That's why I actually think that a lot of this is about being a detective and it's not the negative detective where it's like, okay, I'm going to look for the crime scene and like 
the fingerprints and that kind of stuff. It's more, I think it's harder to look for the positive. (laughs) I I think that we're primed to look for the negative. So that's really easy. It's much harder to find the positive when you're in this state of watching somebody use substances over time because you're, you have PTSD at this point, you're, you're traumatized by their behavior and their actions and the possibilities. The other thing that's complicated here is that you know, even as an addiction specialist myself, I never say to somebody, you have a problem, you're an alcoholic. People expect me to make that pronouncement. And I don't believe in that. The first question I ask people is, do you have a problem with blah, 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 whatever the substance is? And they're like, no. And and I know that their, their criteria is that they don't live out of a shopping cart. I then ask people, let's look at the problems in your life. Is there a connection between you using those substances and the problems that you have in your life? And it's a much more subtle connection. It's like, you know, I'm late all the time or people are mad at me or I don't pay my bills or I keep losing jobs. That doesn't register for some people as actually problematic. But when you take it back and have people look at that, they're like, oh, well, yeah, there might be a connection with that. And so the thing that I've learned over doing this for many, many years is that the more subtle I am, the more effective I am. I hear a therapist say, you're a codependent, you're an alcoholic. I don't give people labels. And I think that that's really important here is that you're not going in to make pronouncements for people. I know you're using, I know this is happening. I actually believe much more that what you're looking for is dysfunctional behavior. And that's not about whether you're using or not, because you could not be using and still have the behaviors associated with it. And you still need treatment because you could stop using substances and still be dysfunctional and you still need help. So to me, that's the treatment piece. We actually talk about this, Kayla, as well in rest meetings. We had a big discussion actually in all three meetings this past week about module three, which is identifying those patterns and behaviors. And um, we talked about I know that in module three, what what you're looking at is typical, a typical using episode. But that those questions and that learning patterns in behavior that can be used for all negative behavior, all difficult behavior. And we talked about just what you said about how. Just because you remove the substance doesn't mean you don't have behaviors that are very much associated with. There's reasons why people are using substances, right? There's reasons why in that behavior is all associated with it. And so you can use module three again, just use it with difficult behavior and any difficult behavior that you would like to see change. You want to start to recognize patterns And then you want to engage when um, you see positive behavior. That's when you want to get in there and you want to start rewarding. And anytime there's difficult behavior, you want to back away. Just in the moment, you're going to back away. So that's why, like, we talked about that. And I said, go back and watch Module 3 over and over and over again. Right? And a lot of family members will watch it once. And then they don't think it's all that important. And it's like, no, no. 
go back, go back. You're yeah. going to pick up and see things that you hadn't seen before and, and you'll get better at it. Yeah. And for, for those listeners who aren't members of alliesinrecovery.net, module three is where we break down what's happening right before a using event, during a using event, and right after a using event. And so that the family starts understanding that pattern and understanding the both what your loved one is thinking and feeling before they use. What are you thinking and feeling when you know they're about to use? So it's both, a, it's called a functional analysis and behaviorism. We like to call it the ABCs just because it's a little easier to remember of antecedents, behaviors, and consequences of that behavior. And module three has about 16 little database exercises that would take you 20 minutes to go through, and you will see your loved one in a new way. You will, because you will understand what's driving it, what's rewarding it by mistake. You will learn a whole lot about it. And it's interesting that families have lived so long with it, and it's looked so chaotic, but there are real patterns and you just need to come away, do a little work, notice what's going on, put it down, go back, revisit, go back, revisit. We do that with all those exercises that are database because we ask you to be, as, as Kayla said, a good detective. So here's your, here's your dossier on you and your loved one because we ask you questions about yourself as well as questions about your loved one. And you keep tweaking, you keep adding, you say, oh, no, he doesn't do that anymore because he cut out this. So all that can go away into history. And then you always have the current situation kind of in front of you. You know, Can I just add one more piece to that? And then Kayla, you take it from there. But another tip on using module three And this functional analysis, I call it kind of a deconstructed functional analysis because people don't know that's what they're doing. But try doing it with positive behavior. Try doing the same thing with positive behavior and identifying the patterns with positive behavior. Because if you can identify the patterns with positive behavior, you can start reinforcing that behavior or you can start encouraging that behavior and not be as focused on the negative behavior. So if you have if you have a good idea of both negative behavior, this is the stuff that I would like to see stop or reduce so I can pull I can pull away not as a punishment, but as this kind of, okay, you know, I'm going to put up a boundary here and I'm going to I'm going to disengage. I'm going to remove all immediate rewards. And then when I see positive behavior, I'm going to identify those moments And look at those patterns and, okay, I want to encourage this. I want to get in here and I want to find some way to support that kind of behavior. So module three, although I think it's important that listeners and people that are using the Allies website to know how rich that particular module actually is. And it needs time. It does. Because it takes time to do that. I I love that you're focusing on the positive with the functional analysis, because I do think that's our weak spot. I think that for all of us, that's where we focus the least, even in our own lives. It's like we could tell everybody what's hard or we deal with the struggles, but we miss what's going well or what we're doing well. And I think it's really essential because I also believe that what you focus on becomes larger. So to me, that's one of one of my favorite parts about craft is that you're re, reorienting yourself towards the positive. 
And and I feel like if the if one of the big goals of doing this work is to create bridges to your loved one, the bridge comes in the positive. That's where the bridge is. It is not about identifying the the negative behaviors. It's about noticing the positive because you're dealing with somebody who has low self-esteem, doesn't have a lot of tools to deal with crisis or difficulty or feels isolated, depressed, lonely, and anxious. And so going in with this gentle model of noticing the positive is very, very powerful. And it's one of the strengths of this module, of, of this model, actually, because it really is about creating the connection and the and the positivity. And that is missing in many, many other models. Um, the other thing that I want to say about the three steps of the functional analysis is the antecedent, I, I say before, during, and after. So, <laughs> <laughs> so pardon me with my technical language, but, but when you're looking at situations before, during, and after, that's the behavior change model as well. So that what happens with behavior change is that it starts after you're looking at things after the fact and you're, oh, that didn't go really well. That was really bad. And then what happens is that as you do the work and you have more data, you start to catch yourself in the middle of it and you could shift it. And then the goal, which is the dream for all of us, which we're all kind of lousy at, is to notice the triggers before they happen, to notice the, the dynamics and the patterns. You're picking up triggers and cues and data, and you're like, oh, this is going to happen. And so you get to choose what you're going to do to avoid getting back into the old pattern. And I think that is the power position. Such a good point. And, and one of the stories we tell on the site is of a husband who comes home, his wife has been trying not to drink and she'd already had, she hadn't started to drink, but she was in a very foul mood. And he knew that this is the trigger. She's frustrated with work. She'd been home. The place was a mess. And so he didn't say don't drink, honey. He's, he poured her a bath. He took the, the little girl daughter and they went for a walk and she, and he said, here, have a bubble, you know, just, just see if you can refocus for us so we can have a nice evening. And he didn't say anything. That's catching the trigger because he, he knows. And if you ask somebody, they know what started it, what started it, where did it start? What did you see? They know, but they've never been asked that specific little question before, right? Well, and then what happens is that he provided a tool, which is a bath is a soothing situation. And so what happens is that if your only tool has been drinking and drugging, you don't have that other list that other people have. So when you say take a bath, you're actually saying, here's a gift of time and space and relaxation. And I'm going to take care of our daughter so that you don't have to do that. Tool, 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 tool. So that you're actually maybe one day she could say, listen, would you mind taking her and I'm going to take a bath? That's part of this is like, how do, how do our, our beloveds figure these things out? And that's one of the ways to do it is you teach them here. To, I'm, going to t- I'm going to give you a break. You need a break. Oh, I need right. a break. That's a good thing. I didn't know that. And if I look at my, my nephew, for instance, he has ADD and he's very nervous. And, and when he can't manage it is when he goes to smoke. And so I know what he needs in that moment is not a soothing bath. It is a run up the mountain. I need stimulation. I need, you know, so your triggers actually help you kind of figure out which reward. And that's really, that's really up there in craft to be able to do that. But you can get that good to say, 
She needs a bath that'll help soothe her, which is what the beer would do. She's looking to calm and relax herself after a very anxious day. It's a it's an interesting framework, right? And we can spend forever applying our lives to it, our daily lives. And for people with addiction, they can use it every day in their daily lives. So pick something up and try it. And I just want to say, I have a quote from a woman, a mom, and she said, you know, looking for the positive in her made me see the positive in me. Nice. Right. There are some pretty major things that come out of that functional analysis. It can really help family members understand that loved ones aren't doing this to you. Yes, they're trying to manipulate, but there's some pretty powerful driving forces behind that. So it's not personal. It can also help family members to see how the negative consequences of their loved one's actions, those negative consequences of their actions actually feed into the triggers of use. So huge cycle. But also, if you do a functional analysis on your own behavior in response to your loved one's behavior, you will also see that the negative consequences to your behavior feed into your own internal triggers for responding that particular way to your loved one. And you can also identify, oh my gosh, I have some pretty powerful internal and external triggers myself for behaving the way that I do. And this is, this is why it can be so difficult to, to respond in a way that is more helpful than hurtful. I know it's, it's hard to see that now, like outside of it, but a functional analysis can really help with a lot of stuff. The more you know, the more choices you have. That's what this comes down to. Yeah, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And a lot of times, and it goes back to the unconscious, if you bring the unconscious to the consciousness, you have choice. If you're unconscious, you're not, you don't have any choice. You're automatic and you're reactive. So this is about you, you slowing time down and being able to think about things and then make choices that actually have better outcomes, which I guess is the summary, isn't it? I was going to say it is the summary. I'd like to end with it. End with another testimonial as the young mom from Saskatchewan who said she's learned so much about herself from us. And I just feel that's the ultimate compliment because that's that's where it starts, I'm afraid. And for everybody who's worked really hard for a long time with their family members, this is only 68 weeks, you guys. And then you see these kinds of changes. And then this isn't that you have to change how you are, you know, forever. And you can move pretty quickly through this, even the worst of situations, even the loved ones that are really horrendous to you. Awful. They can be, you know, Lori was saying this last week in the trainings. It was, they can be so mean and you know you you need to recover from that if nothing else and and know how to how to get yourself sort of not so reactive to them which of course there's good reason for it and you do and you deserve to focus on yourself you know if you if everybody could think i deserve to take care of me and if i take care of myself everybody else is going to do better that's also the goal of craft is take care of yourself and good things will happen Doing all of this stuff in craft is taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. 
We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.